Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast. I am Matt St. Jean, joined by Tommy Godin as always. How are you doing over there, Tommy? Always a pleasure to be with you, Matt. And Chris coming on for the, uh, I guess this is kind of our final show of the regular season or our first show of the postseason. I don't know how you want to call it, but Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm going to plug myself real quick at, at the top, like a self-serving uh, scamp. <laughs> Uh, a lot of writing from Chris this week. So go to Road to the Garden. Make it your homepage for uh, your desktop. Uh, there will be a lot of stuff flooding the the airwaves yeah. this week. So be there. Yeah. Read my stuff. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a ton of content on there. I know Chris is going to be doing, I think, some daily stuff for us. Michael DeRosa has a couple pieces coming up. I think I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the, the plan is, but we might have a piece coming up on the Yukon-Providence rivalry as well. And Tommy and I are going to be doing some form of a live blog from the tournament, too. So with all that together, plus the audio content and the Twitter content, you're going to be getting there. That's the perfect time to be dialed in to Road to the Garden. And you know what else you guys should be dialed into? That's right. It's SeatGeek. We've teamed up with them this season to get the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. That includes the Big East Tournament. Still looking for Big East Tournament tickets? Go ahead. Use this SeatGeek code. They take the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek and download their app and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. If you use that for the Wednesday tickets, I think you might be getting $8 back. I'm not sure how that <laughs> works with the current ticket prices. Yeah, definitely go use that code. Get yourself down to the garden. Just do it. You know you want to go. Uh, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. That's where you're going to find all of our blog posts for this week. Guys, I think we got to start with the final five-game slate of the regular season on Saturday. And the Big East was not going to let us go into the postseason quietly. I think we got kind of a big story coming out of Saturday in the very first game of the day. That's... Providence's worst home worst home loss under Ed Cooley, 24-point home loss on Senior Day on national television to a Seton Hall team that did not have Kaderi Richmond or Trey Jackson. Uh, shocking would be an understatement here, I think. Tommy, what, did, what were your thoughts watching this? I mean, nobody told Seton Hall that they're not good. Nobody told Seton Hall that they're done. I, I mean, it... It shows. I mean, Seton Hall shot a season best 62.5% from the field in that game on 30 of 48 shooting, 55% from beyond the arc. I mean, their offense is clicking. Testament to Shaheen Holloway and that Pirates team. Man, I mean, they're, they're, they're dangerous coming into the dance. They're, they're coming in here wanting to make some noise. Yeah, I think this is a Providence team that just kind of saw the – checked the starting lineup, saw no Kadari Richmond, and they're like, uh, hey – this one's e this one's easy. This one's over. Um, first half they got outscored by 19, uh, and then it, they just had a hard time clawing back um, in the second half. But I think Providence is fine. Let's ease up on the Providence stinks narrative that's going around, or like Providence is a bubble team. Stop it. First off, but uh, yeah, good for Seton Hall. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's kind of hard to tell here whether this means tells us more about Seton Hall or Providence because the game is so incredibly out of character for both of these teams that it's just like, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I don't know if this is a sign of things to come or just a, a basketball game that happened and really has no bearing on what goes on in the future. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw some of the post game quotes from Ed Cooley in this one. I'll just read off a couple of them for you because uh, they were they're eye-opening, I think. Um, quote, I've got to look myself in the mirror and ask if I'm playing the right guys. Uh, we haven't guarded anybody in two weeks. Our defense is soft, not connected, nonverbal. Seton Hall played an arrogant team today. That's who they played. They played a complacent, arrogant team today. Are we frauds? Who knows? It's a... Uh, some of the things that he happened to say and an assistant coach Brian Blaney on the local radio station there after the game said something about them basically just showing up to the arena not wanting to win this sounds like what Shaheen Holloway was saying about his group back in November I was just gonna say was that Ed Cooley or Shaheen Holloway I mean that that sounds like everything that Shaheen was saying and and now it's crazy how the trajectories have changed 
yeah, this is not, not what you expect from Providence at this point in the season. Yeah, um, Matt really was – sorry, pulling something up, so I couldn't comment <laughs> quite yet. But per Bart Torvik, from February 15th to now, so three weeks, uh, take, a, take a gander at what Providence's rank would be nationally. I spent too much time on Bart Torvik recently, so I feel like I already know the answer to this. Tommy. Don't ask Matt these questions. This is what Matt does. Um, Their guess for what? Defensive efficiency nationally? Overall efficiency. Overall efficiency. Uh, 125. Last three weeks. 101. Not good. Really bad. Yeah. And it's, I've been kind of pulling the, the February 1st on numbers for a little bit just because I feel like that's kind of a turning point in the season for everybody. That's where you start. That's That's the home stretch right there. And I think that's crazy. Or you can, if you bump it back to January 29th, which was when Justin Moore came back and Providence and Villanova played in that game, Villanova's the better team by Providence over that time span by quite a bit if you're looking at the advanced metrics. And yet the Friars were 2-0 and against Villanova in that span. So it's it's weird, that's for sure. And, yeah, I don't I don't know what to make of this Providence team at this point in the year. No, it's they're an enigma right now. That I think it was you that tweeted they're sleepwalking into the tournament, and uh, I, I I do have faith to echo what Chris was saying. Enough with the the Providence is dead talks. They may be a bubble team right now, but um, that doesn't mean they're going to be a bubble team once this tournament is over. It all depends how much stock the committee puts into this tournament, or if they go win the whole thing, which they have the talent and certainly have the coaching to do. So this season isn't over for Providence, but is isn't how you want to go into the big dance. Plus 1,500 right now to win the Big East tournament. That's, I mean, for the amount of talent they have, and at times they've looked like truly a top-two team in the conference, um, that's, pretty, that's pretty solid value. Yeah, and they uh, will talk kind of about paths to the championship a little bit later here when we look at the bracket, but Providence landed on the side of the bracket where they can go to the championship game, and every team they play is a team that they have already beaten at least once this season. They can do it. Whether they will, I think, is very much an open question. But whether they can beat these teams is a known thing. We know that they can. Uh, I think the thing that's most shocking here is the way the defense has fallen off. Even though the the Friars didn't score a ton of points against Seton Hall, it was only 58 points. It was on 59 possessions. It was a really slow game. 82 points allowed on 59 possessions. That's Seton Hall's best offensive performance of the season without the team's best offensive player. I think part of this was confidence. I thought they looked at, locked in as shooters. But this is back-to-back games now, and really three out of the last four for the Friars where the defense has not been there whatsoever. Yeah, this it's what the Pirates do. This is the the 10th different opponent that they've held under 60 points this season, which is just an absurd statistic. But, yeah, I mean, it's what Seton Hall does. Um, they're built around their defense. They're built around getting it out of the mud. I know we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but – should they advance to play Xavier in the second round of the Big East tournament, that game is going to be one that I have circled on my calendar. Well, why, why did I say that? As if I'm not going to be there. But <laughs> We're going to be there for all of this time. We're going to be there, yeah. But yeah. still circled. Metaphor still yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, Chris, any any extra thoughts on this one? Uh, nothing really. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind is that if Seton Hall somehow scratches their way to the conference championship game, and loses, you could truly make a case that, hey, this team has played a lot better the last three weeks. Um, so, yeah, uh, maybe they're not totally dead in the water yet. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad they're starting to be a little bit more competitive. I think this is – it's good for Shaquille Holloway. Pirate to get to 500 in Big East play in his first year, get a couple quality wins. They, they beat Providence. They beat UConn. Can rest on those, and no matter what happens over the next couple of weeks, I think you can move into the offseason feeling like year one, you you got over the first bar, and now you look to add in the transfer portal, look to add in the recruiting cycle, and, and see what this can look like when Shaheen Holloway really starts to pick the players he wants to succeed. Yeah, uh, I think the other we'll save the Villanova UConn game here for a second, just because we'll go in chronological order. The Marquette St. John's game. Uh, I think this is only notable because Marquette may be playing St. John's again on Thursday. This is one of the weirdest basketball games I think I've ever seen. St. John's was hitting shots and free throws, stayed in the game for the whole thing, 
finally Marquette pulls away. You put in the walk-ons and St. John scores, what was that, 10 points uh, in 30 seconds instead of having the ball with 15 seconds left, 10 seconds left, whatever it was, down by two points. And then <laughs> they get fouled and finally miss a free throw. And that's why they end up losing. But panic at the end of that one. And yeah, Dylan Adewusu hit a half-court shot, and he hit a four-point play there at the end of regulation, banking in a three while getting hit and nailing the free throw. I don't know what to make of this, but this uh, is this isn't this isn't the biggest game of the year. But this was a surprising contender for it, a backdoor contender for it on the last day of the regular season, I guess. If St. John's had pulled off the comeback, at least. Yeah, uh, this was a big Wusu game. Twenty-five points from him. I saw that half-court heave. That was absurd, but, I mean, I'm a Villanova fan, so I'm used to it. This happens literally every game at the end of the first half. Um, but, yeah, 16 of 18 from the line. What a wonky finish. I was going through the stat or the box score here at the end of the game. I saw Michael Kennedy got in for Marquette. Yep. So I was like, well, what kind of game was this? I saw the final score, and Michael Kennedy <laughs> played, and those things viewed in a Venn diagram. There doesn't go in the middle very often. <laughs> Yeah, it was that full-on panic there for Marquette trying to get him back out of the game once it became competitive. <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <sighs> All right, that was that was that one. I think the next game chronologically, Xavier Butler. Butler made a push in the second half. Xavier pulled away. I think the only notable thing we got out of this weekend for Xavier wasn't on the court. It was the off-the-court news about Zach Fremantle being officially done for the year. Do we want to just talk about this now, or do we want to save this for when we talk about the actual tournament bracket? Let's table it here. Okay. Um, as far as the weekend, though, I Xavier continues to impress even without Fremantle. Like they, they've done what they what they've done what they needed to do to stay on the seed lines that, that they've been at. So um, I'm, I'm glad that that hasn't hindered them at least to this point too too much. Offense is still clicking. I'm still very high on the Xavier team. Yeah, Defense arguably might be better. Yeah. yeah, Chris, that that Bart Torvik request that you had pulled, if you still have it up, where does do. where does Xavier rank in that? Yes. So since February fifteenth, the Musketeers number seven in the nation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sleeping on Xavier, number two in the Big East, too. Second place finish, first year under Sean Miller. Pretty impressive stuff there when you consider. The last month of the season, month five weeks of the season, regular season, they play without one of their best players. Just surprised Fremantle didn't get any really all-conference nods because he's been – he was fantastic all year long. It was the injury that kept him out of that. So you miss a guy like that, you still put together that kind of season. Hats off to Sean Miller for that one. It was so hard. Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit later but during our award segment, but we, we're going to give our picks out for coaches of the year. And um, I, I – think I'm pretty safe to say that all three of us are going to pick Shaka Smart, but it's insane. He, Shaka Smart had to go nuclear to beat out Sean Miller for the coach of the year spot in the Big East this year, and he did just that. Sean Miller, hats off. He wants to build this program around defense, uh, but if the offense can stay up to standard, even if there's a little um, digression from where it is now, it's still a damn good offense. <laughs> yeah, and it does speak to their depth a little bit that Fremantle goes out and just, you know, Jerome Hunter can step in and essentially provide you know, similar volume. And, and um, they still have the pieces behind him even that still provide decent bench, bench production. So, yeah, that team is fully loaded even without Zach. Agreed. And I think we'll, we'll probably with a bracket, but it does kind of set up the uh, – the two teams that are really good but lack depth now to face one another in the Big East tournament, the other there being Creighton. Uh, potentially a very interesting battle there. Well, let's talk about one of the teams that might be trying to spoil that side of the bracket, and that's Villanova. The late game there against UConn. Villanova was really competitive for long stretches of this game, and it just kind of slipped away. I'm not – man, it's just – it feels like too little too late for Villanova here because I thought they played well and just kind of ran into the wrong teams at the wrong time down the stretch, Tommy. Is that what you think? I'm glad that the at-large bubble team situation is over now. It was almost getting to the point where it was a distraction. I think it would have been a long shot anyway. But, I mean, these guys, they're only focused on their next game, and that's against the, the Georgetown Hoyas. 
which is, by the way, is not going to be an easy game. I mean, Villanova played Georgetown twice this year. They beat them twice, but it was it was competitive in both the games. Georgetown had a lead in both the games that uh, they played this year, and it wasn't like a four to two lead. So Georgetown's a good team. Uh, Villanova's going to have their hands full. Um, but yeah, they absolutely, like you said about Providence on their side, Villanova's path to the championship game in the Big East tournament is against two teams that they've beaten. Well, three teams, if you count Georgetown, that they've beaten so far this year. So kind of got, I mean, you can't get lucky in this year's Big East tournament. I mean, all these teams could, there's six, seven teams. There's seven teams that could win the Big East tournament this year. So there's no getting lucky, but uh, Villanova did end up on, I think, the easier side of the bracket, avoiding UConn and Marquette on Thursday and Friday. Um, they have the talent to do it. It's going to be interesting. Chris, yeah. you're still holding on to your Villanova win in the Big East ticket over there. You still feel good about that? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> don't, put, don't put any stock. I mean, some stock, sure. But UConn's great. Um, and Villanova just didn't shoot the ball well. They shot 36% from the field. Brandon Slater didn't even make a shot in the whole game. Um, I think he, he's sneaky matters a lot for that team, by the way. But, uh, no, Villanova's fine. Um, UConn, I'll go back to Bart Torvik since that's the theme so far. Number two in the country since February 15th. Uh, they've righted a lot of their wrongs. So, yeah, pair that with you, Villanova not having a great shooting day, then, yeah, you're, anyone can lose to UConn on any, any day. So they'll be just fine. The shot quality game, the shot quality, if you guys follow them on Twitter, mm-hmm. they had Villanova winning that game, 71 to 70. Villanova took better shots, Chris, uh, like you absolutely said, to echo your point. They just didn't go in. So, right. I mean, that's not the only reason that Villanova lost. Obviously, UConn was the more dominant team from start to finish. Um, but they're they're going to go back. They're going to look at the tape, and this is a dangerous team come March. Yeah, and I think that's – one of the interesting things about that Villanova UConn matchup is kind of, I think we've seen Villanova regularly get like the shot quality victories this year. And then they just, they're not hitting the shots. They're not going in. I think a lot of that is, you know, you lose Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore for most of the season. It's like, well, that's so guys who are pretty good at making those shots. Um, who said the word Jerome Hunter? He's here. <laughs> yeah, drum hunter fan club is is in the building and in the chat thank you for joining us uh he is now mad at me so i'm sure we're gonna have to deal with that later we are drum hunter fan club we are giving out our own awards on here in a little bit if you want to if you want to stick around and see if your, your boy ends up ends up winning these is uh, is jerome hunter fan club is this a, a fan account or is this just jerome hunter uh running like his own account that's a, that's my question for you maybe he's a fan of himself yeah Nothing yeah. wrong with that. He's just his own hype man. <laughs> Everyone needs one of those. We're big Jerome Hunter fan club fans here. So. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> fan club of the year, unofficial. Yes. Mark it down. <laughs> Love that. Uh, the final regular season game of the year. Chris, I think I'll, I'll let you take this one. The, the Big East regular season started and ended with DePaul losses. This one at the hands of... Great. Well, you got to do them like that, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Blue Demons. I know they're, they'd be the first to be just as upset about that. So uh, frustrating into the season for DePaul, but Creighton this last week, pretty good. Yeah, you know, um, with games against Georgetown and DePaul, who knows how much you can take away, but Creighton certainly looked good, and they took care of business, had no problems, um, made some shots. Baylor looks a lot better now. Uh, the defense played well. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. Creighton looks back to form. Yeah, I was never worried about Creighton. I, I didn't, I didn't watch this game to be completely honest with you. But I mean, the box score, uh, the recap I'm reading right now, the final score, everything looks up to par with what that game was. So I guess I can just imagine what happened in my mind. And yeah, yeah, this is this happened. is the kind of game where from afar you can just kind of check the score every five to ten minutes and. All right, if it gets interesting, I'll turn it on. But if everything goes as the plan, I don't think you're you're not learning a lot about either of these teams unless something really unexpected happens at this point. I think we know what Creighton is and we know what DePaul is. And yeah, it's, this played out how exactly how it would have happened ninety percent of the time if you put it into two K and just simmed it. So I will yeah, say that, uh, the one snub, from my opinion, we'll get into awards. The one snub, in my wanna, opinion, we want to do this right now. And we want to do this right now. Twenty one. We could. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's go to that. We'll do the we'll do the bracket at the end. We'll do awards now. And let's let's just start with we got the first team, second team, honorable mentions, all that today. We got the freshman team too. Um, I guess our first question is going to be about who was snubbed. I'll read off the guys that are on it. Your Big East first team: Jordan Hawkins and Adama Snogo from UConn, Ryan Kalkbrenner from Creighton, Tyler Kolick from Marquette, Bryce Hopkins from Providence, and Sule Boom from Xavier. Tyler Kolick and Bryce Hopkins were the only unanimous members of the first team. And the second team: Oso Igadaro from Marquette, Cam Jones from Marquette, Joel Soriano from St. John's, Eric Dixon from Villanova, and Colby Jones from Xavier. Your honorable mentions, got two Creighton guys right there, Trey Alexander and Baylor Shireman, plus Devin Carter from Providence and Jack Nungy from Xavier. Chris, I'll let you I'll let you do your piece here on Trey Alexander. Thank you. Um, if you look at his numbers in the last you know month or so, it's been fantastic. That guy, I mean, he's just so consistently good for Creighton. He does so much. He's probably their best defender um, outside of Kalkbrenner. Uh, and, and offensively, like he can catch fire against Georgetown and DePaul combined and he hit something like eight threes. Um, so yeah, I, I wish he would have gotten that second team nod. I think he deserved it, but that was my only gripe for, I thought they did a great job. Tommy, you are, uh, you're muted over there, big guy. Happens. Was just <laughs> in my seat there for a sec. My apologies. But I said, damn it. This is why we should, we should corroborate our notes beforehand because Chris just took everything I was going to say instead of better <laughs> than I could. I, I don't mind any of the first or second team selections. Uh, I wouldn't have minded if Trey Alexander made it. Yeah. I, what I had kind of tweeted earlier, I had no issues with any of the guys on the teams. Uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly how I would have put it if I had done it, but I can't be upset with any of it. I think a couple of the sneaky things on here one, uh, Jordan Hawkins on first team is not something that we would have had a month ago. And I think we're all we're at a point right now where Jordan Hawkins was so good down the stretch in, a, in an alternate world where UConn doesn't have a bad January and the Huskies end up winning the Big East. I think Jordan Hawkins might end up being your Big East player of the year. That's how, how good he was down the stretch here. Uh, Jerome Hunter fan club asking about Sule Boom not being a unanimous selection. I'm a little surprised about that. I'm a little surprised at a handful of these guys not being unanimous first teamers. I think Sule Boom not being one surprised me. Ryan Kalkbrenner not being one surprised me, especially with Kalkbrenner winning defensive player of the year. Those guys weren't unanimous. And I think there's an alternate world here as well, where Xavier wins the Big East and Sule Boom's performance Wednesday night is what gets him Big East player of the year. So uh, are you guys surprised that some of those guys weren't unanimous or how do you feel about the first team in particular? Tell you what, Matt. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. You got it, Chris. Go ahead. I was just going to (laughs) say, Major League Baseball, there's been one unanimous selection, I think, in the history of baseball. doesn't matter to me. Um, (laughs) Pick the team or you get the right guys on the team, and I don't care how many votes they have. That's fair. Yeah. Again, I'm just – it feels like a big hallway in here, just echoing everything Chris has said all night. Uh, Unanimous is so hard. You know, you have to be so good, so – like all year long. So consistent. Sule, would I have been mad if he was a consistent, I'm sorry, unanimous uh, first team selection? No, I'm not mad that he's not. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He's still on the first team and the two people that got it were definitely deserving. And I think it it says a lot like this. Look at the guys that were honorable mentions here. You put the four of them on a team with whoever your next guy up is. And that's a group that's, you know, winning a lot of Big East games, if you put them together, this is a really deep year for these guys at the top. That happens when you have, in a lot of ways, five Big East teams that played at roughly the same level for all of conference play. You don't do that unless those teams are deep and have more than just one or two players. Plus, you have the Joel Sorianos and, and Eric Dixons, who are tier half tier below that, the teams that they play on, tier below that, wherever you want to put them. And they're strong enough individual performers that you can't leave them off from getting some kind of mention. So then you end up with a, an Ed Croswell who doesn't get any kind of a mention on here, or Ryan Nemhard who doesn't get any kind of a mention on here, or Zach Fremantle who doesn't get any kind of a mention on here. Um, and you could go on. I mean, I think Primo Spears and Emoji, Emoji Gibson are guys who produced enough that in, a, in another year where there isn't as much production at the top, they sneak into at least an honorable mention, if not second team. Yeah, all I have to say, I was at the 
I was live in person at the Minnesota Rutgers basketball game on <laughs> Thursday of last week. And I am just very glad that this is the conference we cover and watch and spend our time talking about. Um, it's the best. <laughs> no, uh, no smoky arenas in the Big East. We have leaky roofs, but no smoky, uh, <laughs> smoky jumbotrons. Nice. Yeah. All right. Do we want to go through the rest of our awards here? Said it. Yeah. I think, I think some of these are going to be a little bit easier to go through than others. Some of these, I don't think there's just going to end up being much discussion because I think we're going to be on the same page. We'll start at the top. Player of the year. It's Tyler Kolick for me. Are either of you going a different direction? Nope. Chris. I will. I gotta, I gotta yeah. keep up that shtick, right? I, I was anti Kolick a few weeks ago. But I'm gonna stick with it. I went with Ryan Kalkbrenner because I think, um, in the spirit of most valuable player, Ryan Kalkbrenner's the best because he's the most valuable to Creighton. He is more valuable to Creighton than I think Kolick is to Marquette. I think that's very fair. I think in a world where Creighton beats Marquette in that game uh, a couple of weeks ago at home, if Creighton wins that one, I probably have Kalkbrenner. I think this is a it's a battle of is this the most valuable player? Is it who is the most right. important to what happened in the in the conference that year? I think you can interpret it in different ways. Tommy, what were you gonna say? Yeah, that's a great point. I don't have uh, I can't counter that argument at all. I agree with it, to be honest with you. I, I just think the reason I gave it to Tyler Kolek is when you're given these awards out, it's always given to the best player on the best team, unless somebody has insane stats. Which Kalkbrenner has great stats. Oh, I'm sorry, Kolek has great stats 10.2, 8.8, and basically four. Um, my runner up, I probably, uh, I mean, there's so many good players. It, it's a it's a toss up of Boom, uh, Hopkins, Kalkbrenner, some one of those three. Boom has good stats 16, 4, and 3. But I, the fact that Tyler Kolek plays on Marquette, the best player on the best team, it's for the voters, it's hard to vote against that. And it's I, I want to point out here, too, and we say voters, the people who vote on these awards are all the coaches in the coaches. conference. That's who selects this, which I think gets lost sometimes. Like, if you, if you want to disagree with the awards, go ahead and disagree with it. But nobody knows these guys better than the coaches. And you might have different preference here, but they usually get this at least close to right. Um, they usually do a pretty good job. Uh, thank you for calling out the train whistle in my background, Jerome Hunter Fan Club. Yes, I do live in New York City near the uh, near the train, so you get that occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was mine at first. I'm glad it wasn't. Well, it, maybe it was. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, that was somebody's. So Kolek for two out of three votes. I think Kolek's going to get it on Wednesday too. If we're if we're just predicting here only two unanimous selections to the first team it's going to be one of those and it's not going to be bryce hopkins unless there's a real shocker here so i think we can comfortably predict colic i don't know if you, i don't even know if you can bet on that if you can uh place your colic bets now <laughs> yeah that's just i don't care what the odds are that's just an investment yeah you'll sure get something back yeah uh, let's go down to freshman of the year i think we got a couple different options here tommy i think i already know where you're going i'll let you start us off you do know where I'm going, and it's going to be the lottery pick, Cam Whitmore. 12-5, uh, almost an assist per game he averaged this year. Uh, what really, I was surprised going through his stats. He averaged over one steal a game, one and a half steals per game. Um, Caravan, I think, is going to be your runner-up here. He's going to have a lot of time to win a lot of awards at UConn, but, I mean, his stats just aren't comparable to Cam Whitmore's 9.7, 4.4, 1.9. Uh, yeah, Cam Whitmore, he, he's, I think he's going to walk away with this one. Chris, do you have Whitmore as well? Yep. No disagreement from me. Um, his combination of size, strength, quickness, and still shooting like 35% from deep. It's hard to guard, man. He's going to be, he's going to be a good pro. I actually did go in a different direction here. I went with Alex Caravan. Uh, and there's, there's two reasons for this one. Caravan just played more basketball this year. He had a lot of extra time. He did a lot of really good stuff at the start of the year, and that's not not a diss to Cam, but I think he had more production because of that. And I also think Caravan found a new gear here in the final stretch of the season, and he is a huge part 
of why UConn kind of started to turn things around. Um, I think that's uh, that's a huge part of it. He, he, the way he played in particular against Bryce Hopkins in that one game a couple of weeks ago at the end of February was eye-opening to me, especially when you look at how the two matched up the first time they played and the in-season development we've seen from Caravan. I'm not sure how long he's going to have at UConn to pick up awards, but the, the growth curve we've seen on him this season might be only one more year, if that. So I'm going, Caravan. I think you can go either way here and feel pretty good about it. And if I'm drafting somebody, obviously I'm taking Cam Whitmore. <laughs> For sure. And I, I feel like you could make that argument about how much he impacts a team for Cam Whitmore as well. He makes his return against an Oklahoma team after Villanova shits the bed over three in the PK. They come home to face a decent Oklahoma team. Cam Whitmore makes his return, and they win that game. Then they go out to the Prudential Center. They play Boston College, who's not a pushover, but they're not the ACC's finest either. And then they blow them out. So, I mean, this Villanova team was headed for a downward spiral before Cam came back, and and he really buoyed them until Justin came back. And although it's a little too late, uh, this season's not nearly as bad as it could have been without them. Yeah. I think that's valid. I think you can go either way here and feel good about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, nothing from me. Matt, that's the Caravan's defense has largely improved. And that really, I was worried about them in March. And now I am not as much because of that one fact. Yeah. And that's. Andre Jackson's going to get a lot of the the publicity here for why UConn turned things around, as he should. And I think Jordan Hawkins found a new level with his game, and that's part of it. But for oh, maybe a month there, Alex Caravan was kind of figured out defensively at the four, and UConn had no answer there. And he has f- figured that out. So big stuff there for UConn. Both of those guys are great. I'm not sure which one is actually going to end up taking home this award on – Wednesday did I I don't remember what the voting on this looks like was either one of them unanimous Cam was uh I think they both were actually I assume they both were I think they both were yes. I know for a yeah, fact was, Cam was. they were the only two unanimous selections yeah confirmed that so it'll be one of them we'll we'll see who it is maybe flip a coin on that one you have one I do have one. I'm, I'm saving that for when we look at the bracket here. I like it. Yeah. Uh, well, I know we want to get through the bracket, and I realize we're already over half an hour here. So we'll, we'll get through some of these on the quicker side. Transfer of the year. Chris? Bryce Hopkins. Uh, wow. I, as much as I would love to say Shireman, Bryce has been fantastic, and there's a reason he's a, all, you know, uh, a first-teamer. I'm Tommy? I also have Bryce Hopkins, and it was – I mean, I could have flipped the coin on this one. Um, I think he barely edged up, but he put up great numbers, 16, 8, and 2. Better numbers than than Kolick in my eyes. Um, but unfortunately, he does play for Providence. Um, yeah, he barely edged out Boom. It was a toss-up for me between those two. Uh, Shireman was in there, but it was really these two going back and forth. The only reason I lean towards Hopkins is because I picked him in the preseason as player of the year, so I wanted my pick to be right. So I'm going to roll. <laughs> I also went Hopkins here. It feels like a shame to kind of shut out boom from this award with how good he was. Uh, and I think he's a huge part of Xavier lost both point guards last year and they were kind of needing boom. I think both of these are, are incredibly important players to their teams. Hopkins, just his rebound production to go with his point production. I'll take him. No wrong answer, but I'll go with Bryce Hopkins for transfer of the year coach of the year. I think we can get through this pretty quickly. Shock is smart. Shock is smart. Shock is smart. Yep. yep. I'll have yep. what he's having. Yeah. He'll, uh, he, my eyes should be at least in contention for Naismith, if not the winner of it. Him or Tang, right? That's got to be yeah. a yeah. lot of your own Tang. Bill, Bill Self at Kansas, I think. They had a lot of turnover on that team, and they, yeah. they're, they're going to be. Don't give any awards to Bill Self ever again. <laughs> I second that. Maybe Jeff Cable. Uh, Kansas, oh yeah, Cable could be in that. Yeah, for sure. Kansas victimized all three of our teams in the tournament last season, so we're all on the same page there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Have one if Justin Moore was healthy, I will <laughs> die on that hill. I agree with that. Yeah, and then and Providence, Chris, you, shoot, Providence hit some shots in that game, especially the first half. Yeah. They would have won that well, they, game. Yeah, yeah. The Friars took a lead with about five minutes left, and then ran out of gas at that point. Hey, you know, you play, you play the national champion that close. They're also, all three number one seats had already fallen. Didn't feel like a fourth was going to fall that day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a shock up for Coach of the Year, uh, sixth man of the year. 
There we go. Tommy? Despite the common Tommy L's, despite uh, <laughs> me being called a bozo on here, despite all the rest of the slander I've received from the Jerome Hunter fan club, um, David Joplin won it in the conference. I'm going with Jerome Hunter here. 7-4 over an assist a game. Marquette's a lot deeper than X. Um, they they have uh, the glue of their team, big glue guy, Stevie Mitchell coming off the bench. I really like Jerome Hunter. Xavier really, you know, relied on him a lot this year. They needed him to improve, and he did. Uh, I'm going with Jerome Hunter, sixth man of the year. Yeah, same same with me. Uh, I already talked about Jerome Hunter a little bit at the beginning, but he's been so important with three mans allowed. Um, he, he's been fantastic, and I didn't know if that was cheating or not to pick him, but yeah, Jerome Hunter would be my pick if applicable. Yeah, and that's why it's tough. That's why I stuck with the one they picked in David Joplin just because, and yeah, I know, I'm sorry, Jerome Hunter fan club. Oh, um, no. Yeah, the chat's about to be blown up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I think the, the issue for Jerome Hunter here is that I think he played too much to really be the sixth man. He's a starter, and he played like a starter, and he was a really good Big East starter. That's why I don't know if I can call him – the sixth man. He's one of the five. He's going to be part of the five that Xavier's going to have to ride if they want to pick up a couple trof- trophies in the next weeks and months. And they're good enough with Jerome Hunter in the starting lineup to do that. He's that good of a player. So if he came off the bench for the full full season, Jerome Hunter would be my pick. He didn't. I'm going David Joplin here, who I think also had an excellent season and has kind of flown under the radar with some of the other good performers we've seen out at Marquette. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for what it's worth, I'll throw it out there since we haven't mentioned his name and he probably won't get mentioned looking at the rest of the awards. Uh, my second pick would have been Donovan Klingon. I think he's really important that's to a, what UConn yeah. does. Yeah, that's a that's a great pick. Um, no Sharif Mitchell love? Ah, uh, saving him for a defensive player of the year. It's not called <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I have, you know, let's just do defensive player of the year next. I think we can play with the order here a little bit i there was a lot of controversy on this one i had both providence and yukon fans in my mentions uh, about this because they had guys surprising that i didn't have any seton hall fans in there too with casey and defo who i thought had a very good defensive season so this was a little bit of a controversial pick who did you tommy we'll start with you who did you have uh ryan Kalkbrenner. i thought this was a two-horse race between ryan Kalkbrenner and devin carter um, but Ryan Kalkbrenner is the best defender on the best defensive team, 2.2 blocks per game, best in the conference, 18th nationally. It's the best scoring defense in the conference, uh, Kalkbrenner. Yeah, Russ? Schematically, what if you look at Creighton's scheme, I think their entire defense is based around Kalkbrenner being awesome. Uh, I don't th- Devin Carter is a great defender, but I do not think that Providence's defensive scheme is based around Devin Carter. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I picked Culpepper. Yep. I'm with you guys here. Although this pick left me wanting, I, there's other conferences that do an all defense team and this year. Left me wanting the big East to do that because you look at what Culpepper did. You look at what Devin Carter did. You look at what Casey and Defo has done all season for Seton hall. He's been a huge part and you could really pick like, two or three different players from Seton Hall with how that defense has been this year. Femi Odakale as well. Uh, Andre Jackson, who's been up and down, but when he's been up, he might be the best defensive player in the Big East, period, even including the schematic advantages that Kalkbrenner gives you. And then you got Stevie Mitchell at Marquette, and you got Posh Alexander at St. John's. Posh Alexander and Andre Corbello, by the way, both tied for steals per game this year. They both had two steals per game. So even with the issues Andre Curbelo has had, he's been uh, productive on the defensive end. You got a lot of guys who could deserve to get their name heard. But I think it's a shame we only get one guy who actually gets an award when there's more. There's plenty of people who play at that level and deserve some kind of something to come with that. Completely agree. Yeah, uh, posh fatigue I think is setting in in the Big East. Like he doesn't get <laughs> he did, he doesn't get the the props that he deserves sometimes defensively. And the, the lack of team success hurts him there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's go to one. Yeah, we, we got one next up here. Comeback player of the year. 
I know exactly where Tommy's going on this one, too. So we'll go, we'll go to Chris first. Who do you have, Chris? For comeback player of the year, I went with Justin Moore. And it's just like it's so hard to come back from that injury in that short of time. And for him to be this good, like playing as well as he has been the last couple of weeks, it's super impressive. And I'm just really proud of all the work he put in to get to this point. Um, yeah, Justin Moore. Justin Moore is amazing. He didn't have to come back, um, but he did. And this is a completely different villain of a team with him on the floor at 65, 70%. He's the vocal leader of this team. He's the physical leader of this team. It's a day and night difference when he's on the floor and when he's not. Um, the mental and physical aspect of this Achilles injury, I've been talking about it all year. It's just that it would weigh on anyone heavy. He's a tough soldier. Um, he's torn his uh, ACL before, so he, he he knows. He knows how to come back from these catastrophic injuries, and um, he's had experience, and it's just a master class for Justin Moore. Give him all of his flowers. Um, easy pick for me. There was I, I picked Moore here. There was one other name that I kind of considered, and I think he's out of the running here anyway, but that was actually Zach Fremantle depending on how we define comeback. He's a guy who dealt with injuries last season, and he got a new coach and stuff going on there at Xavier. And if we're talking about comeback, just as in bouncing back from previous performances, Zach Fremantle had a career year this year in a situation where I think a lot of people felt like you couldn't necessarily count on him coming into the year being that guy for you. Uh, I think he's done some remarkable stuff there for Xavier, but for comeback, I mean, it's got to be Justin Moore coming back from an injury like that and, playing as well as he has down the stretch here it's hard to pick anybody else for that comeback play of the weird year is so weird like in the nfl geno smith got it and he just yeah. came back from being ass like brandon Graham <laughs> for his achilles he came back you know had a career year career high sex it's i don't know comeback player of the weird you know, wonky justin moore yeah it's 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 kind of a nebulous definition of how you want to how you yeah. want to say that one um Kind of a, a similar vein in some ways, depending on how you define it, is going to be the most improved player of the year. The pick from the Big East was Joel Soriano. Any disagreement, Tommy? None at all. I mean, he had one double-double last year. Now no one in the country has more than him this year. He's a rebounding champion, first time in St. John's history they've ever had a rebounding champion. I mean, he scored 481 points the last three years. He scored 472 this year. They give that man his award. Yeah, no, no disagreement from me. Fifteen and twelve—that's that's fantastic. And the thing, like uh, Matt, I know me and you talked in the preseason about um, all of the bigs. We, we on a podcast in the preseason went through all of the the good bigs in the league, and Joel Soriano was an afterthought, uh, really. And and so for him to be as good as he is, it's it's really great. Yeah, it's a great Joel, story, yeah, Joel Soriano. <laughs> I'd love to poach him. I'm not affiliated with this school. I can tamper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of teams right now. Hey, I look at I look at Providence right now as a team that has no bigs on the roster next season. Uh, I'm sure they'd also love Joel Soriano there. I'm sure there's a lot of teams that would. And there, hey, there's an alternate universe here where St. John's has a good year. Joel Soriano is player of the year straight up with the way he 100%. played this year. 100%. So I'm, glad, I'm glad he won that award. I think he deserved it. A lot of improvement for him. And I think – this is this is where we start to get in some of our awards. We got some some fun ones in here. And I think we're going to start with game of the year. I'm curious to see what plays into this for you guys. I want to hear your reasoning, Tommy. We'll, we'll start with you over there. What was your game of the year? My game of the year had 18 lead changes in it. It's a game where Sule Boom was fantastic uh, all game long. Jared Bynum and, and Kunkel from Xavier trading threes down the last minute of regulation. That game of the year. It's going to be Providence at Xavier on February 1st. That was a fantastic one. Those two teams always have something cooking when they play each other. Chris, what'd you pick? Uh, I picked a different Providence game. Uh, the double overtime uh, Creighton at Providence game. Um, that game was fantastic uh, start to finish. It's my favorite game, not only in the, in the conference, but in the entire country. Any basketball game I watched this year, that was the very best one. Um, entertainment level was an absolute 10. Yeah, that was actually my pick as well. How many lead changes were there in that one? I don't remember off the top of my head, but infinity was, sign. Yeah, it, it was almost 
it, it almost felt like every basket in that game was meaningless because a one point lead or a two point lead just didn't it didn't matter. It didn't mean anything. It, it like until you got up to two, maybe three possessions, it didn't matter. And even then, you got uh, I was it Ryan Nemhard who took that over at the end to force overtime for Creighton. And um, yeah, that was a fantastic, fantastic game. I loved that one. Uh, the other one I considered here was Marquette Creighton. I was back and forth between the two of those when you consider the stakes involved in that game. Oh, yeah. Uh, Creighton gets off to that first half lead, and home crowd was real hype. I think they had some type of, like, blue out or something like that. And, uh, yeah, Marquette storms back, and they shoot, like, 65% in the second half. It was, it was fantastic. Right. That, that was the blue out where Creighton wore white. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> Uh, all right, I think we'll go with shot of the year then. And that was our next one. And I know where I went with this. I feel Tommy. like I feel like we're all gonna be on the same page. I'm scared now. Tommy, what'd you have? No, I want to go last. What, what's your <laughs> Chris? Matt, Chris, go, you Matt go. Go, no, no way. Matt, go first. I'm I'm scared now too. All right. Tyler Kolick over Ryan Kalkbrenner to win that game. Okay. Basically the shot that ended up clinching the Big East Championship, setting the setting the tone for that, and player of the year over the defensive player of the year to give the lead for good in the final 30 seconds of a game. It's not the highest difficulty shot, but when it comes to importance for the season, I don't think it gets more important than that one. That's where I went, too. I, I, did, I didn't do the, the shot of the year. I did the shots of the year. He made two in under a minute to go. Um, yeah, that's my pick. Yeah. Uh, recency bias almost told me to take a Daiwusu's shot uh, from this weekend, but yeah, that's where I went to is Kolek uh, over Kalkbrenner. I will say, I considered one other one, which was also a Marquette basket, and that was the putback for Omax Prosper in the game against Xavier to give him the win in the, in the closing seconds of that one. Imagine how differently we're talking about this season if Marquette loses at home to a Xavier team without Zach Fremantle, and that's probably what happens if Omax doesn't get that put back. So a uh, season changing play right there too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think now we're getting into, yeah, now we're getting into the, uh, the fashion segment of this. Do we want to start with best dressed coach? Yeah, still. Tommy, I feel like you're the, you have to answer this one as the Villanova resident. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the right answer. I mean, I got the answer key. Uh, I got the script in the mail this week. Uh, it's Kyle Neptune. Best dress coach. I mean, what makes him the best dress coach, right? It isn't his tapered suits fit perfectly. It's not the t-shirt, turtleneck, whatever he wears underneath. It's his watches. Look at his watches next time you, you see him. He's got a black dial Rolex. He's got an AP. He's got a Cartier watch. Keeps him in rotation. Heck of a dresser. Making Jay proud. This should be – we should have named this award, and it should be the Jay Wright Best Dressed Coach Award. That's what this right. should be. Yeah, uh, and fo following in the footsteps there, Chris, did you also pick the man from Philly? Uh, I went back and forth between him and Mike Anderson, uh, just because Mike Anderson has some pretty sweet like red suits, or he's got the red uh, sweater vest. Uh, big fan of that as well. But I did end up going Neptune. Yeah, I think I like Neptune a lot too. That's why I picked. I think just the the modernization of that style. The, the blending of errors that he does, I think is really nice. So huge, huge fan of what Kyle Neptune does over there. Let's go to best dressed on the court. Best favorite uniform matchup of the season. Curious what you guys have for this. Chris, well, we'll come back to you. We, we, what, what's the answer you want? Uniform matchup. Uh, I, I went uniform for one team. Uh, All right. If that works. I went with Creighton's baby blues. They're my favorite uniform in the conference. I think those look pretty sharp. That's some good ones. I like those. They wore them twice against DePaul this year. Yeah. Wasted them. Wasted bullets. Yeah. Put them back in the chamber. Could have, could have worn them for the blue out, but didn't. <laughs> they could have wore green and purple jerseys against DePaul. I don't think it really would have mattered. Too much. <laughs> um, I mean, Chris had a little bias in his pick. I'm going to have a little bias in my pick. Bill Nova has a lot of awesome sets, right? They have the pitch blue, the dark ones. They have the light blue ones. Uh, they have the throwbacks. Mine is just Villanova's home whites. What's really like uh, people don't see it unless you're zoomed in on them or you're like on the floor. They have pinstripes in those uniforms. 
I think the little baby blue pinstripes going down, it's a classic font, classic uniform. I, it's so clean. I'm going Villanova's home whites. All right. I, I embraced the matchup part of this only because there was one on the very last day of the season that caught my eye here. I felt like I just needed to put in um, that St. John's Marquette game on the last day of the season. You get the bright red from St. John's and the championship blue, they call it, for Marquette going going against each other. I just – I like the colors. It's a lot of basketball games where it's white versus black or white versus navy blue. Give me something with a little bit of pop. I like it. I, it's funny, though. I do say that. Um, my answer might change in a couple days here. Just based on my tracker and looking – making some predictions here, I think there's a very good chance the Providence-UConn game – on Thursday afternoon, it's going to feature Providence's black throwbacks. So Ed Cooley wearing the throwback gear at practice today for the media availability. And UConn wearing the white throwbacks. And I think those are two of the three best uniforms in the whole conference. So if we do end up seeing that matchup, I'm revising my answer to that. Otherwise, give me that St. John's Parquet game. We'll have a little fun with it. Xavier gold trim jerseys, too. Those are nice. Uh, I. I almost went for the Xavier gold trim ones. They played against UConn in the white throwbacks. And I was mm. like, ooh, I, that was my, my second choice. Yeah, I like that. I think our, our last one here is best swag. Tommy, you were the one that put this in. So I'm going to let you go ahead and answer first because I want to make sure I went in the direction you were thinking with this. I put this in? I believe so. You texted me a list of the things you wanted in here, and I'm pretty sure this was in it. Hell yeah. All right. Um <laughs> <laughs> I like where I went with this. I I went with Mark Armstrong. And here's here's how I'm going to break it down. With swag, right? When you break down swag on the very basic level, you got to have the the physique to pull off the swag. You can't have Ryan Kalkbrenner who's like 75150 wearing like and a headband and arm sleeves and and all this wacky shit. You got to have the physique to wear. If I was Mark Armstrong, um, that's how I would dress on the floor. The sh- he wears a shooting sleeve that's clean. He rolls his shorts up a little bit. He keeps the shoes in rotation. His look is clean. He has a physique to pull it off. Uh, my runner-up was Baylor Shireman with a headband. My last place was Baylor Shireman without a headband. <laughs> <laughs> he's, com- he's coming for your guy right there, Chris. No, I agree. Uh, headbandless Baylor just felt weird, you know? Um, it's like uh, when people – yeah, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of headbandless ba- Baylor. Baylor Shireman without a headband looks like when you see somebody without their glasses for the first time. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like something's missing here, and I can't quite figure out what it is. Yeah, they asked him about it, and he was like, oh, I was just trying to show off the new fade I got. I was like, at what, at what cost, though? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I went a different direction with swag, so I wish we would have clarified. Um, but Providence just got uh, signed with Home Field Apparel, and their Providence – merch they have on that website fantastic every every providence fan go buy some stuff go buy some <laughs> some uh expletives uh yeah it's great if i didn't pack my bag from new york i i literally just packed it today i have like three home field villanova shirts in there i know that's what matt's gonna go get yeah chris I, you could not have picked better timing this got here about an hour before the show Hell so yeah. i'll just We'll do a little ad. Home, we're not sponsored by Home Field, but if you'd like to sponsor us, we're more than welcome. Hashtag not sponsored, but sup. Yeah. Yeah, that's money. Those. Yeah, got one of uh, one of these. Oh, yeah. Uh, the biggest one from 94. And I had to get the uh, the sweatshirt. Got yeah. the, old, the old throwback logo on it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that I dropped like a whole paycheck on all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some great gear. I went I, and I like that interpretation of it, Chris. Appreciate That's it. Yeah. Going that way with it. I went for a player here, and this is kind of a, a I actually kind of had two players on the same team, but I, I settled on one. And it's a combination of their aesthetic and their attitude on the floor. I originally had Andre Curbelo because he, he's a lot of things, but you can't say he doesn't play with swag, both with the goggles and everything else. Uh, but the other guy I ended up going with, AJ Store, he has he's got that little like undershirt that, that like pokes out from the jersey a little bit that I think looks really good. He's got the little arm sleeve, and the dude just plays with confidence. He oozes confidence when he is on the floor, and um, 
Yeah, he's, he's a fun player to watch. He's got a nice little aesthetic. If we're going least swag, too, I'm going with Jack Nunji wearing the mismatched gray undershirt with the gray Xavier jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not great. Yeah. All right, do we, um, do we, do we preview the bracket here now? Is this, is this time? We'll camp with this? Yeah, quick little five-minute five minute camp. Yeah, we'll go quick here, and we're gonna we're gonna have this here. We're gonna have some stuff tomorrow night as well to preview just the Wednesday games. But we'll we'll do the bracket here, and I think I want to start with my first question, and just in general, which team do you think the way the bracket set up is most favored here? Which team got the best best draws for for having a chance to win this whole thing? I think UConn did. They get the first round by. And then they get a reeling Providence team. Now, I mean, this is, I guess, a rivalry game depending on who you ask. But, um, I mean, there's no doubt that Providence is not playing their best basketball of the year right now. Um, Of course, they're going to have to face Marquette in the semis if they get past Providence. But I I like UConn's path here. I went with Creighton. Uh, I want to stay away from that top side much as possible and I, th- I think uh if you get past villanova which obviously is uh, i'm not sure uh, can i just can i put the disclaimer that the easiest path is the winner of villanova creighton that- <laughs> um i i like that's the next matchup and then you're in the championship so i like the winner of that game to win it all wow see i went and i i might be really overthinking this a ton here but the team I kind of came around on where I feel like I actually liked their path contextually a lot more than I thought I would at first is Providence because you look at what's going on on the other side of the bracket with, with Xavier and Creighton are both teams that like, like you look at Villanova coming out of there. Villanova has beaten both of them recently and it's a group where I don't know how I feel about any of those teams. I feel like you get a lot of 50-50 draws in there. I think Seton Hall is potentially a bad matchup. And I'm not I'm not sure. DePaul is a team that beat Xavier this year and might be in that. And if Providence ends up on that side of the bracket, their path is looking like having faced Seton Hall and Xavier back-to-back. The last two teams that the Friars lost to having to play them immediately again. Xavier team that Providence has not beaten yet this season. You go to the other side. Providence has beaten UConn this year. Providence has beaten Marquette this year. Both of those teams more recently than it beat Seton Hall, who would have had to face in the first round had it ended up in that three seed. And it's Butler and St. John's also has possibilities if somebody gets through Marquette there. I also think UConn's, while it's a fantastic team, is a better matchup for the Friars than what Xavier brings. And that's one of the reasons why they split and Xavier swept Providence. So not a not an easy path for the Friars, but I do think they're on a side with matchups that favor them better than if they were on the other half of this. Yeah, I think That's, you're overthinking it here, Matt. There's two teams I don't <laughs> want to see in the tournament, and it's UConn and Marquette. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also fair, and it's just – and Providence beat both of them this year. I think that's what makes this crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, your reasoning makes complete sense, and then I take a step back, and I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wanted to stay on that that other side of the bracket as much as possible, but um, you know, prob- uh, you're right though. Matchup wise, it probably is better draws, but better teams. So I, I don't know. Tough. Yeah, it's and it's a weird it's a weird mix of things there. Would you rather face a team that's worse or face a team that might be a better matchup? And I'm not sure. Uh, and the other thing is, if Providence's path on the other side would have been Seton Hall Xavier in a hypothetical. Having just lost to both of them, you might say, hey, they're due for wins in those, and they're not going to put up the same performance they did the last time. So you never know. I think there's a lot of coin flips here. Are there any teams you think that have really unfavorable draws the way this all came down? Hmm. I think Tommy thinks it might be Providence here. (laughs) I think it's Providence. The way they're playing right now, having to face the hottest team in the conference and the regular season champs, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, I'll throw UConn there, right? I mean, Providence is is not 
an easy game, and then you fade, or uh, I'm sorry, you uh, not UConn, um, Marquette. Providence wouldn't be an easy game, or you face UConn, who might be the best team in the conference right now. Like that's as a one seed, that's a pretty tough draw. And, and Marquette's draw here is they're going to f- face a team they literally just played in the first game and then have to face either a team that looked like the best team in the country for a long stretch of this season or a Providence team that is, if they get through UConn, going to be playing pretty well, I feel like, and feeling good about themselves coming into that one. For the number one seed in the conference to get that draw, uh, relatively, I think, is brutal. And yeah. yeah, I think you could also argue Creighton here gets a really bad draw having to potentially have a rematch with Villanova right off the bat. That's that's tough for Creighton. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I will say after, if you get through that one, I would rather play Xavier um, for, for Creighton's style of play than Marquette or UConn. Uh, do we want to we want to give uh, some predictions here? Uh, what's going to happen? Fire through the bracket. Yeah, let's. I think we skip the Wednesday. And let's let's each give the four teams we have making it to Friday, and then our championship game and our eventual champion. And Tommy, let's start with your your Friday there. I have Marquette facing off against UConn, and I have Xavier facing off against Creighton. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, same for me on Friday, Marquette, UConn, and then I got Xavier Villanova. Okay. See, this is, this is where it gets tough. Cause there's, there's no way this is going to be one, two, three, four on Friday. I just don't believe that that's going to be the case, but figuring out which one of these upsets is actually going to happen. Uh, that's easier said than done. Part of me was tempted to pick St. John's over Marquette in some ways, based on what we just saw. Um, but I'm going to take Marquette. You guys both took UConn, so I'll take Providence in that one. Because um, I feel like that somebody's got to take Providence. That matchup is too close to not have somebody take the Friars there. Uh, and then on the other side, you know what? Give me, give me Seton Hall Creighton. Ooh, yeah. Jerome Hunter Flint fan club is is going to be rolling over right now. You, you put you put in your praises. You're putting me in the, the tough spot here. You guys are picking the other teams, and uh, I don't know, something crazy is going to happen, and I'm not taking the same as everybody else. <laughs> um, and this is where, before we pick our championship game, this is where I want to give my, my trivia time here. So here's my question for you. Which team had the longest winning streak going into last year's Big East tournament? Providence. George Ron. <laughs> the Friars lost their last game of the regular season. Yeah, yeah. Tommy, do you know who it is? It was was not Georgetown, to be clear. Damn, I really thought Ewing could have, you know, pulled his <laughs> hat there. Um, I, it's not going to be Villanova, or else you wouldn't be asking this question. So I'm going to go Butler, just because I know it's a wonky answer. Yeah, it was Seton Hall. Yeah. A five-game winning streak. I went back last night. And I was going through some of the old champions and how they did the weeks going into the Big East tournament. And there's a whole lot of met in there, a whole lot of teams that went two and two or three and one or one and three in their last couple games. And some teams that lost games and immediately got a rematch and beat the team that they had just lost to and all kinds of stuff like that, which tells me I don't want to overreact to what we have just seen. And uh, that's that's another reason why I'm going Providence winning that game over UConn. I don't think we're going to see the same team we did on Saturday, and um, I, I don't want to overreact what we just saw. We got a we got a massive sample size. We can get any of the, the Providence teams we saw this year, including the one that played Seton Hall or the one that beat UConn. We'll see. Tommy, who's your championship game and who's winning it? That's going to segue me into my trivia time for the night, Matt. So Ooh. I appreciate you there. There has not been a one versus two seed in the Big East tournament championship game since oh. what year? Like 2013, 2012? 2017. Number two, UConn beat number one, Pitt in 2004. Yeah. So I am not going to have a one and two. I have UConn beating Marquette on Friday, and I have Xavier moving past Creighton. Uh, I think 
you know, Creighton, not that deep, not that Xavier's much deeper, especially with this free mental injury. But I was just listening to Colin Gillespie on the Full 40 podcast. He said his legs were so heavy when they played on Friday night at the Garden. Um, that's going to be a lot for Creighton starting five. I think Xavier has a flamethrower on offense. I have Xavier, UConn in the championship game. It's going to be a really good one. I know we did the Big East Buckets bracket challenge. I have UConn barely edging out Xavier. 83-81 was my prediction. All right. I like that one. I feel like that's the that's, – if the favorites win, I feel like that's how it's going to end up going down. Yep. Yeah. Chris? Uh, I went Villanova getting out of that, uh, that lower region of the bracket uh, and taking on UConn. So same thing there. And then I have uh, Villanova winning in a game kind of similar to the Creighton Nova game last year. Give me like a 58-56 weird low-scoring game. Uh, Go Cats. Go Cats. I'm going with um, in that that the early game for mine would be Providence Marquette. If Providence is playing well enough to beat UConn, I think Providence will play well enough to beat Marquette. I think Marquette's played very good basketball, but might also be due to just kind of have a loss at some point here. I think it'll be a close game, but I'm going to take the Friars to to win that one. I think it's boom or bust for Providence. You're either going to get a really good team that goes to the championship game, or they're getting bounced by UConn by a sizable margin on Thursday afternoon. The other side, I'm taking Creighton. So we're going to get a Creighton-Providence championship game, a rematch of the first one of the new Big East, a rematch of the game of the year that uh, a couple of us picked, but not the same result. I'm taking Creighton to be the first Big East champ, Big East tournament champion, not from the uh, original Big East there. One of the one of the new teams, the first of Creighton, Butler, and Xavier to win the tournament. Uh, that's what I'm picking. I think Creighton's just really good and kind of underrated at this point. Absolutely underrated right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People's thoughts of them two weeks ago or two and a half weeks ago, I think, are much more indicative of, of who they are. Yeah. And I think there's depth issues for Creighton, but we've seen some of the depth play much better at yeah. certain, certain points of the year here. They got a great defensive player. So give me the Blue Jays. Creighton. Hey, Creighton didn't have any depth last year, really, and they still made it to the championship. It's very true. Now, we're going to wrap up our show here, but I'd be remiss to say um, before we're we're finished on the air, um, stop watching our show right now. Please get to your nearest couch. The Big East Women's Championship is on. Villanova is playing UConn right now. It's going to be a fantastic game. Um, please go watch that if you're going to if you're a real Big East Hoops fan, it's going to be a, a great show. Yeah. Fully fully agreed. Go watch the Maddie Seacrest show. She's unbelievable for Villanova this year. So definitely go check that out. I think that's going to do it for us on this one. Any final thoughts before we go, Chris? Uh, no. Shouts to Susan Falvey, my favorite um, Road to the Garden fan out there. Yeah. She, she is, is the winner of the Road to the Garden fan of the year. Susan Falvey, thank you for your support. Yes. Yes. So, oh, man, the Road Hunter fan club is just catching L's from Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a fan. He's a fan club. He's the fan fair. club of the year. We have a That's fan of the year fair. and a fan club of the year. Yeah, those are the, those are the two right there for sure. Uh, you'll be able to catch Chris's writing this week on the Road to the Garden blog. Make sure to check that out. You'll catch Matt. Uh, you just talked about myself in the third person there. You'll catch Tommy <laughs> and I on the uh, the blog and on the mic this week and tomorrow night. We preview the Wednesday games, getting a little bit more detail. So stick around for that. We got it coming for you all week long lots of content headed your way that's going to do it for tonight for chris and tommy i am matt st gene we'll see you tomorrow night